episode number 14, and this is a good one. Let's do this. Let's finally talk about spirituality, faith, and where God fits into this lovely equation called life, including the pandemic. My next guest is a wonderful, deeply caring and charismatic man of faith. Daniel Smith is a pastor and a teacher in the Comox Valley here in lovely British Columbia, and he currently serves on staff at both Northgate Church and Phil and Jenny Gallardi Academy. Daniel and his wife, Mariah, are passionate about working with and empowering young leaders, caring for the needy, and ensuring that everyone in the Comox Valley and beyond has the opportunity to discover their best selves. Daniel is currently working on his master's degree in Christian studies at Regent College, a UBC-affiliated school of theology. He desires to see the world become a better place through the love of Jesus and inspiring leadership. And by way of hobbies, Daniel loves going for runs and playing sports, hanging out on the patio on a sunny day with his beautiful wife, Mariah, and taking in a good podcast or a book. And indeed, we talk books. And in this episode, we talk about a few. Daniel also shares some beautiful quotable quotes and smart advice given by John Mark Comer, a pastor and author of several books, including The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, How to Stay Emotionally Healthy and Spiritually Alive in the Chaos of the Modern World, and the late David Foster Wallace, a renowned author who speaks very wisely on the topic of worship. There are many wonderful takeaways in this episode, which I'll share again and are worth mentioning at the end of the show. I hope you also get some great takeaways to apply right away in your life too. Let's dive in. Thank you, Daniel, for being here as my 14th guest. It's great to, it's great to be here with you, Mary, and I'm, I'm honored to be on your podcast. To, to bring yeah. in this important conversation around spirituality, it is my top value. And I know this because what I, I had conducted what's called the VIA Institute on Character Strengths. And I came across this quiz. You can do it for free online. And I'll put that link in the show notes. And I'm always telling brands and entrepreneurs show up standing in your truth. And part of that is to hold dear and true to your passion, your expertise and your values. And so it only makes sense that I finally dive into the values. And so you, to me, were the perfect individual because you were a very strong individual of faith and a leader in our community, guiding, teaching our young, our youth, our future leaders of tomorrow. Wow, well, I'm honored to, I'm honored to have you speak so, speak so kindly. Thank you. So let's go right to it. And I always say some of the fascinating stories that we can tell each other is our own authentic backstory. Take our listeners back to a time in your life that defines you as an individual, the individual that you are today, and how has it shaped your passion, your purpose, and your faith? Yeah, that, I think that's a great question. And I think that when it comes to our uh, individual stories, actually the best the best time to tell your stories is, is 10 years later. And I think sometimes we uh, don't realize uh, how much is that work in the present until we get to the future. And I think that for me, uh, a huge part of my story, it, 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 I, I would be amiss not to mention my parents and uh, the fact that they both came over as immigrants uh, from Jamaica. So from, the, from a very young age, I saw uh, two hardworking immigrants at work 
to make the best life for my, myself and my siblings. And, and so I got to see them uh, uh, work hard. I got to see them make sacrifices. And I got to see them um, really lean into each other and their faith. Um, to give them strength uh, in, 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 in various circumstances. So when it comes to my wiring and my overall uh, character and how I've developed, and uh, a lot of that ha has developed out of how I saw them act and how I saw them even parent me and, and my siblings. I was uh, the, the oldest of three boys, and then I have an older sister uh, who's quite a bit older than me. So and there was a, a lot of times where growing up, it felt like I was the, the oldest child. So I functioned with a lot of that Kind of natural leadership wiring so but for me a lot of my story has been uh learning and developing as a leader that is for people and i think that uh, oftentimes like any big brother i would i would oftentimes use my brother's pain for my for my uh laughter and uh and so i was i was able to learn what it means to lead with people first i like to call it servant leadership oh. and really putting other people first and, and putting my needs last and then, uh, yeah, so growing up uh, as, a, as someone who was able to not only see my parents, but also lead my brothers and also engage in a, in a culture that was very much so multicultural uh, near Toronto, Ontario, I really got to grow my understanding of leading other people who come from different backgrounds, who have different life stories, and how to have empathy and meet people where they're at. So for me... Uh, a lot of my story is formed and shaped by my family of origin, specifically my parents and my siblings, mm -hmm. my my natural wiring, and even my birth order, and then also where I grew up as a as a kid. So, yeah, a lot of a lot of who I am today is a result of, of those things. I love that service before self or servant leadership. Yeah. And was faith strong in your upbringing? So as I mentioned, yeah, my parents were, were immigrants. They came up from Jamaica. They didn't really have much uh, except for their family and their faith. And even their family was broken at times. So really what they had to lean into was their God, uh, who's the God of the Bible. My parents were both Christian. So they rose me up in that. But uh, up until, and many of you might know who are listening, a lot of paradigms and worldviews that we have up until 18 are largely imposed upon us or influenced. Mm -hmm. uh, by our parents so it, it took me it, I, I would say my faith became my own when I turned 18 and I, uh, I I leaned into my faith more intentionally yeah. wonderful and so what qualities then perhaps your upbringing with faith that that you relied on to endure through the pandemic but in particularly in your role with Northgate Church and running the internship program I think sometimes uh, we fall into this myth when it comes to leadership that we have to always be perfect and always have the answers. But the reality of COVID-19 is that no one has the answers. And if we did have the answers, the week later, we're wrong now because it's changed. So for me, I had to like abolish anything in me that wanted to, that wanted to put up a front as if I knew the answers. Because the reality is that my students, my my interns, the, the the team around me only knew the input. They knew the information at the same rate that I was. So all I could say is instill the hope that I'm here. I'm consistent. I tried to communicate as clearly as possible and made sure that 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 communication was frequent. But something that I really stress is that I don't know all the answers. I made sure to admit that. But as soon as I do, I will I will come to you with the next step so that was key 
And then for me, uh, obviously the agility and flexibility that the constant changes of COVID required of me uh, was, was key as well. And then the last two things are our empathy. I think that what we have to realize, especially when leading through crisis, is that different people grieve and process crisis differently. So we can't meet everyone with the same thing that we want to be met with, but we have to know our people as leaders, as friends, as mothers, as fathers, as cousins, as teachers, whatever, whatever space around we function in with our coworkers, teammates, whatever that is, we have to meet each person with a degree of empathy. And we have to say, I, I don't know it, but I hear you and I want to be with you and I want to get you. And for me, as I approach my interns and my, my staff team here with that, with that measure of, of understanding and, and, and even that patience that empathy requires, I saw that there's just such breakthrough with, with relationship and then us even uh, conquering, if anyone can conquer, uh, but us, us conquering uh, COVID as a unit. And then the last thing I would say is something that I alluded to at the beginning uh, when I talked about like transparency and clarity of communication, but I get consistency. I think it's so important. I think someone who's a hero of mine in my life is my dad. And my dad, my, so my mom would be the type A. She's where I get my type A side. But if there's anything that's consistent in me or steady in me or routine in me, I get that from my dad. The greatest gift that my dad gave me was his consistency. And as leaders, the greatest thing that we can give our people, whether it be our kids, because again, everyone, there's a lot more people are functioning as leaders than, uh, than the common understanding would, would dictate. But a lot of us have, if we look at our life, we have someone who's actually looking to us for the next step. We're leaders. So the greatest thing I could give my people was a measure of consistency. I'm there every morning at this time. You can always talk to me at this time. Uh, I'm here for you. Everything is passion, right? And so I'm passionate about my work, passionate about my, my, my family, passionate about my wife, passionate about working out. So everything is just light. So I made sure my students knew that they could reach me uh, anytime. And uh, yeah, there's a day that my wife and I try to be a bit more unplugged and we call it our Sabbath. But other than that, uh, we're fairly available to our people. And, and that, that great gift was, came through the form of consistency. I'm hanging on a lot about what you said with empathy. Mm -hmm. And recently I listened to a podcast. Brene Brown had on Angela Duckworth, who's the uh, author of the book Grit. And Angela has an interesting definition of empathy. She says empathy for her is the opposite of impatience. And she feels mm -hmm. that in this lifetime, she's continuously being taught that lesson about yeah. being patient. And holy cow, is COVID-19 now not a time in our lives where we have to come face-to-face -face with being patient with one another? And that element yeah. also, I would say, is totally. compassion. Yeah. 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 I, I admire, too, and I can see the trend. You're falling back on character traits you want to be known for. Yeah. The consistency and reliability, mm -hmm. if you will, transparency, transparency, even in your communication mm -hmm. and, and just simply modeling the behavior that we want yeah. our children or the ones that we lead to demonstrate into their future. We have no real clear picture, but we have consistent faith. And I've been reading so much on that spirituality in the sense of it's something that's deeper, bigger than us. And of course, one of the definitions going back to that BIA Institute survey on character strengths, they're by their definition, 
spirituality or related to transcendence, having coherent beliefs about the higher purpose and meaning of the universe, knowing where one fits in within the larger scheme and having mm -hmm. beliefs about the meaning of life that shape conduct and provide comfort. And that to me is such a yeah. calming definition. Let's just dive into that for a moment because a lot of times when people hear the word spirituality, they fear it because they think it's always hangs on to some kind of a religious practice, but it doesn't have to be. When I think about spirituality, I think it's something that regardless of who we think we are, we all worship. I don't know if you've heard of um, David Foster Wallace, uh, kind of a good thinker who, who said this. He did a, a kind of famous spe uh, speech at a, at a Harvard kind of commencement. He says there's, there's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the, compel the, and the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type of thing to worship, be it Jesus Christ or Allah, be it Yahweh or the Wiccan Mother do uh, Goddess or the Four Noble Truths or some in inviable set of ethical principles is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. So we have to realize that one, we are all worshiping. So I think that uh, there's, I have a friend who's agnostic and would be worshiping right now because he would understand the value of academics. For us, we sometimes attach some kind of wonky or, or um, kind of woo-filled um, kind of definition to worship. We think it's some, some weird or mysterious thing, uh, but really it's the thing that just takes the primary place in our heart. Mm. And, and for, for him, it's academics. Uh, but that's the thing though. What happens to him if he undergoes something that a friend of mine, an old friend of mine who used to be a, a bio, bio uh, physics or biochemist uh, professor uh, out of UCLA. What happens to to my friend who's an agnostic when he uh, gets a brain aneurysm or or uh, or succumbs to um, a dementia or something like that? That thing that's at the primary place in his heart is no longer tenable. Mm -hmm. It no longer has has the primary spot. For for some people, it's sports and they love sports. For me, I'm a I'm a big sports fan. I played rugby and and basketball and volleyball and all this stuff growing up. But I realized at a point that sports can't be my God because there'll be a day where I'm not as fast as I am or I'm not as quick as I am or I'm not as, as able to shoot a shot or, or pass the ball as I can. And that thing can't be my God because ultimately it, it, it was never meant to carry the weight of my entire priority. It was never meant to carry that weight. So there needs to be something beyond ourselves something beyond the things that pass away i remember talking to someone who was who was secular someone who wasn't wasn't a christian or anything but they but they started riffing about money and saying how how meaningless money is and oftentimes in 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 the contemporary uh like cultural moment you serve the twin gods of accumulation and accomplishment as a, a writer by the name of john mark comer says we we, we taste after money but it's almost like the mirage of being completed. And we think that money or a certain degree of accomplishment 
will get us that feeling, that in that internal feeling of, oh, I made it. But it never actually gives us that feeling. The only thing that can give us that feeling is something greater. Even if we aren't into uh, Buddhism or Christianity or another religion, we have to realize that one, we are spiritual. But it's just like it's just up to us as to dic- to dictate where where that spiritual energy is being pointed towards. So we all have to recognize that we are spiritual to an extent. We are all spiritual beings. I believe we are created to be spiritual beings, and we just get to dictate what gets that primary seat in our heart. And whatever that thing is, is our God. Mm. The pandemic I have seen has divided communities and cultures. Many have turned to the spirituality and self-care practices in search of their higher self, mm-hmm. something greater than their existence, something that's more existential. Yeah. yeah. And others fell deeper into worry and fear and depression and the egoistic mind took great hold. Are you experiencing this also within the community and within the circles of people that you're leading and dealing with on a regular basis? Um, what kind of guidance or reassurance do you give them? I'll speak to uh, the people who I'm connected with who are secular outside of the church because I have, I have tons of friends who are non-Christian. And then I'll also speak to my friends within the church. So of my friends within the church who are dedicated to their faith and their following of Jesus, uh, a lot of them are feeling this immense sense of, Yes, I'm done with wearing a mask. Yes, I'm done with COVID. But I, as far as the things, the inconveniences that were caused of COVID, um, they don't triumph over the joy that I have in Jesus. Mm-hmm. With that said, within that group of Christians, we're noticing that the individuals who are 60 plus, especially the, the older end of that, of that range, are almost experiencing a lack of connection. So mainly because our the generations under 60, again, this is generalization, but bear with me, generations under 60 have understood to a, to a degree what it looks like and what it means in, in the practical to be connected through digital means. So uh, Mary, right now we're on a Zoom call and we're able to be connected through this. But for some of our 60 pluses that we're connected with in our community, some of them don't have internet at home or they don't have any device through which to connect to their friends. For that demographic, although they haven't lost faith, although they haven't lost hope, they're a bit more discouraged because there isn't that connection that a young adult or a or a, or a late 30s or a teenager or a mid 40s or 50s would feel. They, they don't have that same connection that, a, that one of those demographics would feel through Instagram or Snapchat or or TikTok or Facebook or one of the other means that they're able to use. That's general. So some of them are able to still stay connected with family and friends and such. So non-Christian community realize that there's like almost like two, there's like a polarity. There's like people who uh, are kind of, kind of understand and empathize with the government and the key decision makers and the people who are just fed up and frustrated. And mm-hmm. both of them are trying to really rationalize okay, what it looks like to to live out my truth, my truth, for example, uh, within this context. So for the for the people who are who are understanding government, it almost seems like there's there's like an anger, there's a frustration with those who don't, or with those who are rebelling, or those who aren't following the rules, and that's stealing their joy. And for the other people, they're letting the oppression from the government, the restrictions or regulations, steal their joy. And it feels like both parties are functioning in this place of constant frustration. And again, my sample size is limited. 
because again, it's it, it, we are in the midst of a pandemic. My connection with people in general, both Christian and non-Christian, is limited because of when mm-hmm. I'm talking when I visit coffee shops, when I connect with people, because I like to go for walks and runs and stuff like that. So I get to see mm-hmm. both non-Christian and, and and secular friends alike. But I real what I realized when it comes to spirituality is uh, something that I had to wrestle with is this idea of focus on self because I think there's like this big push. Uh, my wife and I are big uh, Lululemon fans, and, and we uh, we we constantly shop at Lululemon. And there's there's these neat these like kind of cute pithy uh, sayings on these Lululemon bags that we use as lunch bags. And some of them say, "Oh, like do you or you're your best you're your best self or or you." And it, and it's very it's very self oriented. But I realized that as I try to live a life with a focus on self and self gratification is that there's a flaw in self, in self-focus. And I believe that some of the flaws in self-focus come with a almost like, like it's almost like we, we think that the, 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 the cure to our fear, worry, anxiety, egotism, stuff like that, our self-focus. But, but as we pursue that, we realize that that's also the cause. Because like, it's yes. like what happens like, what is the leading cause right now in depression or anxiety or, uh, or, or overall stress when it comes to the demographic of 25 and under? A lot of people say, whether it be directly or indirectly, that it's related to social media. Social media leads to comparison. And what's comparison? Comparison is being upset that, that you are not as good or you don't measure up with someone else. So it's like a focus on you. And that leads to anxiety, that leads to worry, that leads to fear. Depression usually comes when, when your circumstances don't measure up to what you feel like you deserve. And so that's another, that's another place where, again, the focus of self becomes a flaw. And it's this egotism, because we, sometimes we say like the, the, the cure to self-esteem is just thinking better self-talk, better self-encouragement. And all those are great. I'm sure they're great. For example, when I'm when I'm at the gym and I have to squat a really heavy weight, I'm just like, yeah, I can do this. But it's like when self-talk becomes our god, mm. and when we make a mistake or when we are not feeling like like we're in the position where we can actually encourage ourselves, we'll be crushed. So for me, instead of being focused on myself, I actually chose to abandon a focus on self and a focus on a greater thing. I, I, and, and some people would refer to it as a higher power, but I refer to him as Jesus. God who actually takes my, my, my old self and renews it. And instead of shifting my focus on my gratification, what makes me feel good, what makes me feel happy, I can focus on him, the source of joy, the source of hope. And because I'm able to function from this place where my ultimate affection, my ultimate hope, and my ultimate um, almost, almost praise and comfort is found in someone greater than myself, I don't have to rely on myself to be perfect or always on for my self-esteem. Yeah, there's a lot of people who might be listening to this podcast who, who've never thought of faith from that perspective. Maybe you've, you've heard of religion from a more a routine, routinistic sense, or it's like, oh, this is mm-hmm. kind of what we do just to go through the motions. But I think that what the church, like what the Christian church hasn't really done a good job at in the past is, is showing that Jesus has both intellectual and emotional tenability. Yes. And I think that once we realize that like there's there's atheist historians, there's 
there's people who are agnostic and, and are into anthropology or whatever that, that admit that the Jesus of Christianity is actually real. And it's just like, hey, now that he's real, because some people will almost like treat Jesus as if he's Santa Claus. Go, ah, like maybe he's real, maybe he's no, maybe he doesn't, but these Christians are just the big version of those kids who believe that Santa Claus is real. But it's like, no, like we have historical data. We have, we have ancient manuscripts that prove that this person by the name of Jesus existed. Once we get to the point where we believe that Jesus is real, now we have to, now all we have to do now is wrestle with what he said. So wherever you stand in your belief system, the common ground should be the fact that, that there's more than just our physical self, our own purpose, our own needs, as you said, that yeah. we belong to something universal. I think that's why we almost like cave inwards because we, we're bearing a stress. We're bearing a, a degree of, of overwhelm that we actually weren't meant to bear. This is a time too when if people had been question, making the, or asking these questions in silence or among small communities of friends or family, voicing more so loudly is that where is God during this pandemic? So how would you respond to, to that question? In light of almost like the contemporary post-Christian assertion to God in light of suffering, oftentimes people will argue God existed. How, how could we also have suffering? Mm -hmm. the, the Christian God makes the case that he is all loving, that he is all powerful. It's like if he's all loving, he can't be all powerful because our our understanding of love means completely abolishing all suffering. Or right. if he's all powerful and he can stop the suffering, he can't also be all loving because there's still suffering. And so for us, we have to realize that if there is a God, again, this is just a thought, but if there is a God that is smart enough, that is big enough, that is powerful enough, to be blamed for our suffering, there must also be a God that's big enough, smart enough, powerful enough to have a purpose for our suffering that is that is that is beyond our comprehension. So if it can be blamed, we have to get to the point where we know that he can also be mis misunderstood. He's mm. either worthy to be blamed and misunderstood, or he is a non-issue, but he can't he can't be both. And the latter would leave the secular populace and Christians with even more unanswered questions and intellectual and intellectual enigmas than we already right. have in society at large. Yeah. And it's like, okay, we have to realize that. When it comes to even suffering, remember that we only see suffering or, for example, this pandemic in our limited human understanding. I remember there was one time where I was walking with one of my foster siblings. My, my parents have been fostering for about eight years now and uh, I remember walking with my little two-year-old uh, foster sister and I remember there we were walking on a sidewalk that had I guess they're doing construction but but you had to kind of toggle back and forth between the sidewalks and every now and then I had to move her out of the out of the way of a pothole and every time I was moving her she was getting frustrated she was like wailing and it's just like she couldn't she couldn't see ahead so she thought what I was doing was actually uh, causing harm was actually causing suffering. The very thing that she thought was suffering was the very thing that led to the greater good of her safety. 
So sometimes we can only see certain circumstances, whether it be the, the pain or the, the sickness of a, a family member or the loss of a job, or, and we don't realize that, that God is actually working out a greater good at play. As much as we don't ever want to overstate or overstep or, or eclipse the, uh, the negative that's gone on, the deaths, the sickness, the, the, the hurt, the pain, the divorce, all that stuff, we have to realize that also there were actually benefits from COVID. You don't really hear a lot about the benefits of COVID, but to name a few, the land and the environment was giving rest. People say that the air quality has actually improved over the last year because less people are driving into work, less people are traveling. This is Families true. are being brought close together because they're forced to spend all this time together. Yes, because that causes also more conflict and stuff like that, but there's also families that drew closer together. High school students are discovering tools pertaining to resilience. People are being more mindful of the value of public health and their general contributions to the greater good of society. Not to overstep all the bad, but there's also a lot of good that came from from this year. And I believe that God, I believe that that's exactly where we see God. I think one, we can't expect to understand everything he does. And two, we have to step back and see the good in the midst of the bad. Beautiful. I'm going to read to you an author's note. It's from the book, God and the Evolving Universe. Uh, James Redfield with Michael Murphy. Just, it's a really interesting book to put in the context of our personal ev evolution. Yeah. Now, this, was, this book was written uh, and published in 2002, right after the um, act of terrorism, 9-11 in 2001. And in the opening author's notes, it says, Today we stand poised at the threshold in human history. The shock and horror of terrorism, you could take out terrorism and insert pandemic, continue to haunt us, reminding us of the alienation and hatred that have too often characterized human history. Yet at the same time, we see reflections of the best in human nature as people around the world continue to hold the vision of peace and justice as they demonstrate the love and heroism that reflects a greater humanity. As though the author was writing this for the here and now. Something that well, continues to hold true. And so what you said, I thought this was a very poignant passage, er, yeah, really. statement in that book. So much of what you said, I, I'm just hanging on to every word. <laughs> Always a very engaging conversation to answer yeah, into. Yeah, for, for sure. And I think also there needs to be a perception shift. And I think one of the greatest things in our character development or personal evolution is to recognize that we just might not have the right perspective and just be open to listen to more perspectives on any subject mm -hmm. and then just have that mindset to be more critical thinkers, if you will. And say, yeah, okay, yeah. I see such a different perspective that's enriching me in my growth. And sometimes it does take these tragedies to make us face those belief systems yeah, head on. Totally, totally. Mm. So just tell us a little bit about your internship, the internship program and your role in it. The internship program is a program based at Northgate Church called the Northgate Internship Program. And I started uh, as the uh, director of the program. Uh, I started the program, started as the director in 2017. And basically the program was created out of this passion to see young adults actually capitalize on their years after high school. I, I, I often say that we have two kind of key points in our life where we have the, 
the optimal amount of freedom and also self-agency. Uh, and these times are directly after high school and directly after retirement. And so my goal is to help young adults leverage those moments right after high school to grow in their uh, leadership, to grow in their uh, ability to learn more and grow more in, in, in their own character and also understand uh, Jesus in a new way and, and grow in their discipleship to Jesus. And yes. for us, we, we believe that when you actually uh, orient uh, young adults behind the cause and really direct them towards a a common purpose that there's there's no way that they they can't not change the Comox Valley, the nation of Canada and the world. So we've we've seen about thirty plus students come through our program and uh, over the last four yes. years. And uh, yeah, yeah, we we just love seeing seeing young adults identified, developed, and sent for a purpose greater than themselves. What are the greatest lessons that you learned throughout the pandemic that you hope to teach these young interns as they venture out into adulthood and prepare to be the leaders of tomorrow? I think a common theme that we touched during this interview that I would reiterate is this idea of uh, resilience and grit. Um, This idea of, okay, what does it mean to push through hard things? And I think that in our instant culture that we find ourselves in, it can be so easy to be like, oh, I, I want this, I want this now, so I'm going to get it now, or I, or I didn't get this now, so I'm crushed. Uh, but it's so important for us to even push, push through hard things, push through hard seasons. And then the second thing is clear and transparent communication. I think mm-hmm. that it's so easy in this time of you know, Instagram and filters and stuff like that to, to try to show your people that you're leading your, your best and most filtered self. But it's so important that even when you don't have answers as a leader, be honest, open, and clear with those you lead. It instills trust and allows them to dispel the often imagined mirage of information. So sometimes in this time, like you'd be surprised at how many people in our church think I have like a direct line to Bonnie Henry, <laughs> but I but I don't. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't have answers. I get the updates because the answers at the exact same time that you do, and I'm able to say that. And yes, you don't look nearly as smart as connected and as connected as you as you would hope, but but it's better. Like it's better to lead with this level of transparency. So I'd say resilience, transparency, and then agility, making sure not to be too stuck in your ways. So like uh-huh. there's it can be so easy to be like, ah, oh, like we can't run six hundred person, three hundred person, four hundred person services anymore. So ah, like this is this is really hard. Like let's just close the doors of the church. But as a as a church, we actually launched a new location in Comox. So now we're Courtney Comox and Port Alberni during this pandemic. That obstacle actually created innovation and enabled us to actually reach another community that we weren't reaching prior to the pandemic. We used to call this idea of being innovative enough or, or being flexible enough to to shift and pivot. And I know some people are so sick and tired of hearing the word pivot. Yes. Yeah. 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 So. In the military, we used to call it, and they still do, I'm sure, adjust, adapt, and overcome. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's good. I love that. But we're going to move to that point in the podcast interview where we talk flashcards. Oh, flashcards. Awesome. <laughs> I, give you, I give you a word, and you give me something. Exciting. And back in return. I'm throwing one in there because you touched on it already, your first word, but I'm going to throw another one in there just to throw you off guard to see how well you can adapt, adjust, and overcome. (laughs) So your first word, vulnerability. Necessary. Yes. Next word, resilience. Patience. Yeah. 
resilience. Sometimes we we quit and don't show resilience because we don't have the patience or the mental fortitude to push past. And I think that a lot of us, if we can not only build resilience with patience, but display resilience with patience, we could go a long way. Even this idea of I'm a, I, I like speed, like doing things fast. But even when I listen to podcasts and I'm up with them at 1.5 or two speed. Oh, me too. <laughs> I, I also am still in the discipline of is reading like physical copy books, like physical books. Cause I think there's yeah. something to be said about the patience that, that develops in us, patience and learning and reading word by word. And so there's various things in my life that I do to build patience. Cause I know that, yes, if you want to go, go somewhere quick, uh, again, you can, you can speed. But if you want to run a marathon when it comes to leadership and impact on society and culture, you have to realize, you have to settle into that, that pace. And that pace that's needed to go the long haul is just one slow, consistent step forward. So I'd say resilience is, is best built by, by patience. Nice, yes. Yeah. Going back to the idea of suffering, we can't really test these extremes in ourselves if we're yeah. not faced with some kind of challenge. Yeah. We don't know what we're made of. We don't know what, our, what grit we're made of until faced with it. And it's an opportunity totally. to develop, I would say. Totally. Resilience is such a transferable skill, too. Mm-hmm. Next word, fear. Mental toughness. Okay. When it comes to fear, I think, yes, there are things that are innate fear-inducing elements that we face in life. Mm-hmm. But I think that a lot of times fear is a product of our our mental our mental game whether it's um weaker or stronger i remember when i was a kid i uh i jumping off a a diving board whether it be 10 feet tall or 20 feet tall i would look over and be like i don't know if i want to do it i don't know if i want to do it and then one two three and then i finally finally jumped into it but now uh, that i'm older and as i as i went to high school and stuff like that before you know it, I'm jumping off 40 foot, 50 foot cliffs into water. And for me, I realized that it wasn't I, that I couldn't do it as a kid. It's just like my mind wasn't in the headspace. Right. I wasn't in the headspace to be able to do that. So a lot of the things that we see as fears are, it's actually, it's actually not the fear itself that we're battling up against, but it's our own mental weakness that we're battling up against. And I think that, uh, oh. again, that's, that's something that's, that's the, that, that develops over time. I think, yes, there are like general things. Like if I were to be going for a hike right now and I saw a cougar and a bear chasing after me, I think I'd be fearful. No matter how mentally tough I am, I'd be fearful. <laughs> with that said, there are people who are good with animals. And these guys right. who, again, again, have grown this like mental toughness that the same thing that I fear, they just look straight in the face. And, yeah. Next word, leadership. Empowering. Your, the capacity of your leadership is, is not in, in what you do yourself, but what you actually empower others to do and be themselves. Yeah. This, this really, it's really a lie that says that as a leader, you're only as important as how busy your schedule is. But I believe that instead, it's, you're, you're only as effective as how many people you actually multiply, multiply yourself in and empower. We're certainly seeing leadership being 
challenge to take a different approach, a more empathetic approach to the workplace. So that we can receive life, we can receive comfort and peace, something that really, really gives comfort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now your last question, your favorite reads, your favorite book of all time. This might be cheating, but the Bible. <laughs> the Bible. Of course. Read all <laughs> I time. figured. But, hey, I read, I read, like, I read and listen to a lot of, a lot of books. So I read hard copy, like I said, but I also, uh, some other reads I'll, I'll, I'll listen to on Audible and stuff like that. But there's just too many books to pick from. And, and the Bible is just so, yeah, it's more than just a book for me. Like, it's like, just a beautiful, it's funny. I, I actually once heard an atheist say, an atheist person, like they're an atheist, like so they don't believe in God, but they're also uh, kind of their specialty is literature. They have like their doctorate in literature. They said, they said at at minimum, the Bible is human literature at its best, at minimum. And and then they said at maximum, it's the authoritative word of God. Yeah. It's like it's crazy to hear that said by a non or like a non Christian. That's a powerful. So for me, it's just like, at minimum, it's just beautiful literature. As you get into it, I'm I, I'm working on some master schooling right now uh, when it comes to theology, and and I get to study the Bible a lot, and I realize how like in depth and nuanced and rich the biblical text is, and when you just read it through, without knowing the context, the cultural context, and the 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 economical background. Of, you just miss everything. But once you go deeper into your study of the Bible, you realize how rich it is. So hands down, favorite book of all time. Yeah. Beautiful. Your favorite scripture in the Bible. One that I, I have, I feel like I have to say just because it's been, it's one, a, a common, a common scripture in Christianity, partially because it's almost like the, the summary, summary of, of God's redemption and the biblical story at large, but it says, for, it's John three sixteen, so it's for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that so whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. And mm-hmm. for me, that's just such an encouragement, and it's a, such a picture of God's love. Yeah. This has been a really enjoyable time to sit with you, Daniel, and talk. We don't get to see each other in our communities mm-hmm. often anymore, you and Mariah, yeah. but I, I do think of you often and. Yeah. I admire the work that you're doing, particularly through COVID-19 as we navigate through the restrictions that we've been facing and keeping the faith. And for me, I have uh, really grounded myself in something that's deeper and bigger than myself to, cool. to move on. Often when I'm preparing an outline and seeking a next, my next guest for the podcast, I take a moment of prayer. I just sit quietly mm-hmm. and I act upon whatever is received Mm. and the intuition that gut feeling higher power i was thinking now who should i line up next Mm. and daniel it was your name came flooding in wow here's the interesting story about this we all love stories (laughs) so jody ann smith who was my previous guest episode 13 she's an immigrant from jamaica she is a personal finance coach. Her blog on her website makes it very clear that God is the center of her world and has given her the divine inspiration to pursue her passion. Cool. The Bible, of course, 
was one of her was her favorite book that she mentioned too. I found that very interesting. She resides in the Toronto area as well. And so wow. your episode is coming nicely on the heels of her episode. Yeah. And yeah. it was a really nice way to open up the door to have this conversation. Awesome. Well, well I'm glad I could be of help. Thanks for having me. You're most welcome, Dan. You keep well. Give my very best to Mariah as yeah. well. And keep doing the good work, God's work in our yeah. community. Well, as I said at the beginning, so many great takeaways. And here are my five worth sharing from the episode. I hope you'll get some great ones for yourself as well. Number one, empathy. We must ensure we address and relate with people with a degree of understanding of their position and their own personal relationship, as well as their experiences with the pandemic. Number two, consistency. Be consistent in our character, as well as our energy and our joy. Number three, the flaw of self-focus. As Daniel explains, fear, worry, depression, and any egotism actually flows from an overemphasis of a focus on ourselves. So stop focusing on ourselves because we are destined to make mistakes. Instead, focus on that one source of abundant joy and energy. And number four, resilience. It takes an element of grit to push through those hard times, those hard things to face in life but also a degree of patience. In fact, as Daniel says, resilience is best built by patience. And the last, which I love as a PR practitioner, clear and transparent communication. Even when you don't have all the answers, be honest, open, and clear with those you lead. It instills trust and helps dispel the often imagined mirage of information filling the gap with her own version of the truth, which is basically our perception of the reality. And remember when we focus on the self, well, it is flawed. Point number three. No matter where you are in your life, what your spiritual journey may be, the team at Northgate invite you to come explore your faith. Join them each Sunday for a service online or you can watch on demand throughout the week. You can find them at ngate.ca. Thank you once again for tuning in. I am your host, Mary Lee. You can find this episode and many more from my website, mggcommunications.ca forward slash on the facts hyphen podcast. And you can follow me on Instagram at Mary underscore MGG underscore Inc. On facts is an original podcast brought to you by MGG Communications Inc., a brand strategy company that focuses on the individual's backstory, telling your authentic best self. By being authentic, we become more relatable, real, and relevant to the customers and clients that we serve. And remember, at MGG Inc., our business is telling your business.